How many of you want to hear something today that will help you to overcome the greatest obstacle in your life? How many of you hear something that will help you to have the joy, peace, potent, reach the potential that God has put you on earth to have and to be? Now, today's message might be a little more confrontational than therapeutic. We need both in life. But if you're here today, and I'm, I understand that, where you need uh, more therapeutic than confrontational. You know, here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to react. I want you to take this message and put it in a freezer bag, put it in your freezer, and when you're ready, pull it out and thaw it out and use it. It'll help you later. Because I don't want today to be a sermon that you just respond to. I want it to be a sermon that you practice. I want to give you three things to practice today and for the rest of your life. Biblical brain training takes time. It takes time. You will probably not be transformed today. Now, there is transformation. We call it miracles, but we don't call it normals. Or you may have a miracle today, but probably it's going to be a process. Six months, a year. For some of you, three to five years. I was diagnosed with chronic anxiety 31 years ago. So some of you think you're anxious. I'm certified. And we're not talking about perfection. We're not talking about operating at 100% tranquility. Most of us would be transformed if we operated at 70%. I'm not talking about 100%. In most of life, in most of life, 70, operating at 70% of potential would mean being in the Hall of Fame, if it's sports, or being a Forbes 500 company, if you're a company. So that's all we have to look for today. God is the one who's perfect. We always want to put perfection on him. We always want to put perfection on Jesus. Isn't it interesting when it comes to anxiety, when it comes to emotions, period, that we don't offer any classes in school on emotions? There are some that are beginning to do that, by the way. But over the years, we have not offered education on emotions because the culture doesn't realize the way you feel is as important as what you know. So you could be a mental Goliath and an emotional midget, but there's a way to grow. Look at your neighbor and say, I want to grow. Today, I want to give you three things to do that will take you to, the, to a place of emotional victory in your life. I don't want you just to respond, as I said earlier, I want you to integrate this into your lifestyle. Don't just try to understand the sermon, try to do it. Let's go to Psalm chapter 42. I'm calling this message Ascend because I want to talk to you about emotionally and mentally leaving the scene of the crime, leaving the place where you're troubled, leaving the place where there's all this causes and all this blame and all this shame and somebody's not doing the right thing and somebody's saying something that's annoying you. I want to take you from there to another place and I want you to think from another place today. And that's what Psalmist, uh, not the Psalmist David, we just say that. I, I forget that Psalms 42 is actually uh, a song written by the worship team, the, Korath the Korathites who led the worship. They were the worship team of the church. And a lot of the Psalms is written by the sons of Korah. They were the, they were the McCutcheons on the stage playing instruments and singing. And they, he writes this song, he writes this song about emotional upset and emotional disturbance. He writes this song about being upset and depressed. Isn't that great that God would write a song about it? See, the, the blues are nothing new. 
They were writing the blues a long time ago. And he says in Psalms chapter 42, the title of the song is Thirsting for God. Thirsting for God. Now that just gives us a clue to what we're going when we're talking about ascending. Because a song that's called Thirsting for God indicates that there are a lot of other things you can thirst for. And if we can move us to a place where more of our hunger and our thirst is for God instead of for people and circumstances, if our thirst is for God, immediately that puts us in a different perspective. Because you can have all of God you want, and you probably do. Psalms 42, why are you so downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you. This is very important. I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar, from Mount Mizar, period. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. He's saying, we're going to go to a different place, and we're going to know God and see God, and we're going to look at life from a different place. Someone said, if you don't like the way things look, change the way you look at them. That's what he's saying. We're going to go to a different place from a different perspective. According to Psalms 42, 5, and 6, to win the war with worry, fear, anxiety, you need a new, not just a new attitude, you need a new altitude. Wisdom is seeing life from God's perspective. Now, in this song that's being sung by the worship team in the church in the Old Testament, the congregants are being told to relate to life from a different place. A place 100 miles northeast, Mount Hermon, 100 miles northeast from Zion or Jerusalem, with an elevation of 9,000 feet. It was the highest point in Israel. It's a place right on the Syrian border. It's a part of the Golan Heights. You hear about that all the time. The Golan Heights are in this area. It's 100 miles north of Jerusalem, just on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. It's from this vantage point that they will see God more clearly and life more sensibly. That's what I want us to do today. I want us to see God more clearly and life more sensibly. The response that wins over anxiety and all of its dirty twin brothers is to ascend to a higher place, a thirst for God away from the crowded life. It's no accident that the word fear not occurs. 365 times in the Bible. There's 365 days of the year. That's how often you're going to have to confront anxiety every day for the rest of your life. <laughs> there's a picture, a beautiful picture. Of, that's Mount Hermon, and there are several other peaks up there. Mount Hermon, that is the Sea of Galilee. And so that's what the singers were picturing. They probably put this graphic on the projection in the, in the tabernacle. They probably put this up there for everybody to see. They said, you know, you're down here in the valley where all the struggles and the anxiety are, but if you want to have victory over anxiety, if you want to have success over worry, if you want to have success over all this stuff, then, then you're going to have to be willing to, to ascend. You're going to have to be willing to ascend. 
You're going to have to be willing to climb. Uh, Scott Peck talks about the road less traveled. Well, this is the climb less climbed. This is the mountain less climbed. And this is what you're, you're going to be different. You're going to be different than everybody else if you're willing to make this climb than most other people. You're going to be different than most of the culture if you're willing to make this climb. You're going to begin, you're going to begin to, you're going to be ready to rumble with your emotions, as Brene Brown likes to say. You're going to be ready, you're going to be ready to win the battle that you can win. You're going to be ready to control the one person that you actually can control. Now, look at our text again. It's interesting to me that he covers being downcast and being, as the King James Bible, disquieted. He covers depression and he covers aggression. He covers them both because they're twins. Some of us report feeling downcast, maybe personality or whatever. That's just, but that's just the river. The anxiety is the current under the river. Proverbs 12.25 says, an anxious heart weighs a man down. Some of us will, some of us will feel disquieted. Our, our, our spirits and even our, even our vocal cords get noisy. We're disquieted or disturbed. Those two, that's, that's not a cause either. It's a response. Disturbed, upset, even angry are all secondary emotions. Anxiety is the fuel that feeds the fire, the rock beneath the stream that causes the waves of the surface to begin foaming. It's what causes the waves to happen. Adam and Eve, this is so interesting to me, Adam and Eve hid. That was their first response to eating the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Their first response to breaking their covenant with God, to disobeying God, was that they hid Remember, we've talked about that, what anxiety is. It's the fight, flight or fight response that's within you. It's your physiological response to an acute threat. And for the first time in their life, they felt anxiety. For the first time in their life, they really felt anxiety. And what did they do? They went into hiding. God went and found them and said, come out from hiding. And what did they do when God brought them out from hiding? They begin to blame everybody. Eve says, God, why did you, this, this serpent, you know, first of Adam says, Adam's the lead blamer. He says, this woman that you gave me. <laughs> and then Eve said, this serpent that you made. The poor snake couldn't, who could he blame? The Lord's here, here to take you out of the garden of blame and shame and take you to the mountain of power and love and victory and deep emotional peace. See, so many of us, especially if we've been around this thing for a while and we're church veterans, we think about the presence of God. Immediately, we think of a, wor of a worship music. We think of being in a room with the right mood, the right music playing, and the right song playing, a song that feels good to us, a song that strokes our emotions, and then we say, that's the presence of God. But I hope I can help you to view the presence of God a little differently. The presence of God is not just for Sunday. The presence of God is for Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. The presence of God is for those times in your life when the boat is rocking. It's for those times in your life 
when you feel panicky inside. You, maybe you don't even know why you feel panicky inside. The presence of God is a place that you can go and it's a place that you can confront your fears and it's a place that you can mentally and emotionally leave that which troubles you and find a new perspective on it. There are four fears that feed anxiety. Four basic, there's more. I mean, you look at different lists uh, that somehow five and, and more, but I believe there are basically four. First is the fear of extinction or the death of being. Physically, of course, this is biological death. This is a natural fear. All of these fears are natural. We all have them. You naturally fear having your life taken away. That's, that's the fear when, when a car narrowly misses you or you, you're riding with somebody and they almost pull out in front of somebody and you scream. It's that fear. It's, uh, it's Sherry's normal experience when she rides with me. Relationally, physically it's biological death. Relationally, it's being ignored or being cut off from other people. The second fear is the fear of separation or the death of connection. Physically, it's losing or getting lost. When you're with a group of people and you're in a big city or you're out in the woods, you fear that you will lose, lose them and not know where they are and you won't know how to find them. It's the fear of your child disappearing, you not knowing where they are. So physically, it is the fear of losing or getting lost. Relationally, it's the fear of becoming a non-person. It's the fear of being unwanted or not respected by other people. That's the second fear. The third fear is the fear of being smothered or, or the death of personal autonomy. That's what it means. It's, it, it physically, physically, it's called claustrophobia. Anybody, anybody feel claustrophobic when you get on an elevator, maybe? Anybody feel claustrophobic? We're all claustrophobic to some degree. I mean, if I try to hold your head underwater, you, would, you wouldn't like that. You'd be afraid of that. So, so, so physically, it's the fear of, it's, it's, it's fear of claustrophobia. Relationally, it's the fear of being controlled. It, it, it's that anxiety that comes over you when someone starts to tell you a story. And they tell it for four or five minutes, and then they drift into seven, eight minutes, and then at 10 minutes, and then 15 minutes, they're still telling the same story and you start getting amped up inside because they are controlling your time and they are controlling, you feel your life fading away. You are losing, you're, you're losing valuable chunks of your life by someone who doesn't know how to land the plane. It's kind of how you feel on Sunday morning when I'm preaching. You start thinking, he's controlling me because if I get up and leave, that's embarrassing. And, and I'm going to look bad. So I've got to sit here till he finishes. And I could be doing this and I could be doing that. I could be, I could be out to lunch with my family or I could be, I got yard work to do and this guy is controlling my life. So I'll try not to push you to the point of anxiety today. The fear of being smothered. It, this smothering thing, it can be like someone touching you. Someone, you know, hugging is a wonderful thing, but you know, hugging to some people feels, feels claustrophobic. 
it feels like you're trying, someone who has high anxiety in this area, and someone, I mean, to the point that they need to get help, actually feels controlled by hugging. So when we, by the way, keep all this in mind when you relate to one another. Keep all this in mind when you relate to other people. Because this is also about relationships. The fourth fear is the fear of humiliation or the death of self-esteem or ego. Physically, this is the fear of, of either having an embarrassing physical appearance or embarrassing performance. How, how many of you like to mess up? You just like how that feels when you, when you mess up really badly. You know, I, 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 walk that, I walk this highway every Sunday morning in these minutes that I stand before you. Then I'm going to say something really stupid. Then I'm going to say something that I didn't mean to say or say something that I, I meant to say, but later I know I shouldn't have meant to say it. <laughs> or I'm just going to be lousy. I'm just going to bomb. I'm, I, you know, I, it's like the story I, uh, I heard one time about a, a, a guy in the church who, I guess, he, I guess you could say he was a little mentally challenged, and so he got in the line to a guest speaker who'd spoken. He gets in the line, you know, in the old days, we used to always stand in the back of the church, and everybody would come by and say, great sermon, nice sermon, nice sermon. Well, this guy comes by the line, he goes, that was the worst sermon I've ever heard. And, he, and, he got, and when he got back in the line, he did it again. And like, after the third time, the pastor who was standing beside the guest speaker was getting embarrassed. He said, don't pay any attention to him. He just repeats what he hears everybody else say. That fear of, 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 of humiliation and, and so, so physically, it's the fear of, of bad performance. Relationally, and this is very important, it's when our, when our own constructed sense of lovability, capability, and worthiness is negatively impacted or even destroyed by another person. Because most of us have constructed in our minds why we're worthy of being loved and why we're worthy of being considered competent. And when another person steps on that, intentionally or unintentionally, it creates tremendous anxiety. Now, we can, we, can, we can do one of two things. We can try to control everybody. We can try to control the world so it doesn't make us anxious. We can try to control everybody so they don't do one of these four things to us. We can try to control circumstances so they never happen to us. And there's certainly a measure of control that we should, we should exhibit. But you, you know, let me tell you, there, there's a better way. There's a better way to live. And Psalms 92 says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. I want to give you another way, and that's to go to a place with God where, there, where, where, where it's completely different, where you will receive the affirmation of your heavenly Father, where you will understand the eternality and the indestructibility of your heavenly Father and of things eternal and of who you are, and you will come at this whole thing from a different perspective. See, you don't build, the, Bible, the text I just quoted to you talks about a fortress. You don't build a fortress in a ditch. You put it on the highest point. We got to go to a higher place. And that place is the most, that place is the mountain of God. Now let me, let me give you those three things that I told you I would give you this morning. We're going to ascend this morning. 
to places maybe that some of us haven't been in our lives. One is we're going to ascend and talk to ourselves. Ascend and talk to yourself. So I talk to myself all the time. Maybe you do, but maybe you don't. Look at what it says in Psalm chapter 42, verse 5. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will praise him. Now, it, isn't it odd? That this Who's talking to who here? He's not talking to the person sitting next to him. He said, he's saying, I want you to sing this song, and in this song you're going to say, why are you? So who's talking to you? Who's the you who's talking to you? Martin Lloyd-Jones has this, said this in a sermon that he preached so many years ago. He's, he's been dead for a while, so everything that he did was a few years ago. He said, and this, this is great, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Did you have the same reaction I did when I read that the other day? Wow, okay. I, even, I haven't understood the difference between listening to myself and talking to myself. I'll, I don't know, but I would flip a coin. I mean, I would bet, if I were a betting man, I would bet that there are people in this room who've never, ever talked to themselves. But I'll bet there's not one of us that hasn't been listening to ourselves. Listen to the rest of, the rest of that section of Martin Lloyd-Jones' sermon. Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You've not originated them, but they are talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday. Somebody is talking. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Now, this man's treatment in Psalms 42 was this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? He asked. His soul has been depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. He is preaching to his own soul. This is the new perspective that I want to take you to, that you learn to speak to your own soul. You know, the duality of man. This is a huge, great study, the duality of man. It's a theme of history, art, and literature. In fact, there's a movie. It's a movie that I am much too sensitive to watch. Uh, but certain scenes of that movie are everywhere on YouTube and everywhere, and I've read it. It's some scenes of that movie. It's called and some of you are going to gasp, Full Metal Jacket. I don't want to see a show of hands who's, who's watched that several times. But uh, there's this well-circulated dialogue between the colonel and this soldier called Joker. And the colonel comes up and says, what is that button on your body armor? And Joker says, a peace symbol, sir. The colonel says, what is that you've got written on your helmet? And he says, born to kill. Sir, of course. And he says, uh, what it, he, he said, you write born to kill on your helmet, the colonel does, and you wear a peace button on your body armor. Is this so, supposed to be some kind of sick joke? What is this supposed to mean? And Joker goes, this private, 
says, I think I was trying to suggest something about the duality of man, the Jungian thing, sir. <laughs> that, that, boy, that's an amazing illustration, huh? You've got a peace button on your body armor, and you got born to kill on your helmet. That's the duality. You, you've, got, you've got the peace of God on your body armor. God loves me, and I don't have to worry about anything. He's taking care of everything. I've turned all my... You've got a, you've got a, you've got a sign in your office that says, there's nothing that me and God can't handle together today. <laughs> and on your hat is, I'm terrified. I'm going to kill somebody. I feel so anxious. <laughs> Relax. That's the state of all of us. But who's leading you? Which you is leading you? Which you is talking to you? And which you is listening? The Bible's very clear that, that within us are these two people. Even Mary, the mother of Jesus, said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. She was honoring the duality of man. The Bible says the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. Let me tell you something. The way to have a different and more powerful relationship with God is to have a different and more functional relationship with yourself. Oh, but what about my wife, my husband, my kids, my mother-in-law, my mother-in-law, <laughs> my dad? What happened to me when I was a kid? You can't control all, any of those people. You can't. Those people, they may not listen to you, but what's more tragic than them not listening to you if you won't listen to you? And that you might be able to go home and fix. I don't, I don't really recommend anybody try to go home and make their spouse listen to them. <laughs> I do recommend you go home and get yourself to listen to you. It's an amazing thing. See, and, well, I, I discovered this interesting thing that, because that, that, um, I started doing this research on self-speech. As I figured, some scientists has explored the impact biologically on what happens when I talk to myself. I was a little disappointed because they hadn't done a whole lot of research on it that I can find. But I did find that they have discovered a part of the brain emerges when you speak. It's called the BRCA, I believe it's called. I believe I'm pronouncing it right. It's over here. It's a little place right here. That's probably why you want to slap somebody upside the head. Because <laughs> it's, it's a part of the brain that, that clicks in when you speak. And what they discovered is it, and this part of the brain helps you understand things. Uh, they discovered that this, people with dyslexia, this part of their brain doesn't function as well. They have an inability to talk to themselves. Because the way we understand things, because when you, when you, read, it, when you read a book, the conversation you're having with yourself helps you to understand the book and understand what you're reading. What you say to yourself prepares you for what you're about to say outwardly. And, and, and the, 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 the psychologists have discovered, here, here's the interesting part, that self-speech, private speech, that you're not even speaking out loud, causes the same part of the brain to be just as active as if you were talking out loud. So the most important conversation is the conversation you are having with yourself. It's what that same psychologist told me 31 years ago that I sat in his office in um, Akron, Ohio. I sat in his office 
and he told me this. Life is not about what happens to you, but it's about the story you tell yourself about what happens to you. I wish I could say, change my life, but it's taken me years and years and years because I'm slow. But I don't want you to be as slow as me. I don't want you to be as slow as me. I want you to be better than me. I want you to get this. I, 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 want, I want you to be like that. I know I've told this story about 50 times. It's an illustration, but I love it about that famous baseball umpire named Bill Clem, who was so colorful. And one day, the pitcher pitched the ball, and Bill did not say anything. And finally, the pitcher out on the mound got exasperated, and he said, Bill, what is it? Bill Clem said, it ain't nothing till I call it something. God has given you that power to define your life. And he's not going to give it to anybody else. He's given it to you. That's why he says, get away from people. This is emotionally and mentally. Get away and go to the mountain. Go to the highest point. Go into my presence. Ascend and talk to yourself. I'm not saying you can fabricate reality. That's what some of you are going to hear today. He meant you can fabricate. No, I'm not saying you can fabricate reality. If you're in an abusive situation, it's an abusive situation. I'm not saying you can fabricate reality, but you can decide what reality means to your survival. I said, you can decide what impact reality is going to have on your life. I can take you to people who've been severely abused, who became incredible, amazing people, who actually took the story of their abuse and did good with it and did great things with their story of abuse, and they have become amazing, wonderful, awesome people because of the story they told themselves. And I can find other people who abuse happened to them and things happened to them were bad, and it paralyzed them, and they could not recover. And it's this secret, is they... is. The ability, you know, to talk to yourself. You know what the Bible calls it? And we, we talk about, we, a lot of times we, we think some magical thing is going to happen when we get saved. And the Holy Spirit's just going to control our whole mental state. And the Holy Spirit's just going to control us. Did you know one of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control? Self-control. God put man in the garden and gave him dominion over everything. God never took that dominion away. Did you hear what I just said? Turn to your neighbor and say, God never took my dominion away. You are in charge of you. Amen? It's good preaching, even if I do say so myself. <laughs> Let me give you a second step. Ascend, ascend and talk to yourself. Ascend and talk to yourself with curiosity. With curiosity about your fears. Why are you cast down? Why are you upset? He speaks to himself with curiosity. Humility is a good thing, but humility without curiosity isn't very helpful. Smugness is as much of lack of curiosity as it is pride. You should be really interested in yourself. You should really want to know why you feel the way you feel. Ascend and talk to yourself about your fears. Ascend and talk to yourself. What am I afraid of? Am I afraid of 
people aren't going to like me? Am I afraid of rejection? Am I afraid I'm going to die? A lot of times that right there will take care of it because you'll realize, you'll realize this, this, this isn't going to kill you. And that'll just make you peace right there. This isn't going to kill me, so anything that doesn't kill me makes me stronger. <laughs> you can do this, guys. Secondly, ascend and talk to yourself with honesty about your fears. The ability to question yourself is the turning point for personal transformation. The ability to become your own boss. The ability to question yourself. Ascend and talk to yourself with authority about your fears. The ability to take authority over yourself is the victory of personal transformation. It's what, the, what I said earlier. It's what the Bible calls self-control. I ran across this picture of this little girl on the throne. I think it describes a lot of us. The message of this picture is to you and I is stop letting your inner brat be your boss. <laughs> stop letting your inner brat be your boss. How many of you are ready to grow up? They're not excited about that passion. <laughs> See, oh, get this. God created, when, and Jesus, the Bible says, we're new creatures in Christ Jesus. All things are passed away. All things become new. The Bible talks about we've been created into a new man. It's not sex. This is just, just the terminology we use. You want to say new woman? That's fine. God has created a new person. And it's not, I know we like to think as Christians, we like to think of Jesus being on the throne. And that's, that's, that's true too. I mean, we want Jesus on the throne of our hearts. But the truth is, the truth is you give direction. The truth is it's either, it's either the little bitty you that's afraid and worried that's on that throne or it's the mature you. It's the you that has, is really submitted to Jesus. It's the you that's really submitted to Jesus on that throne. That's what we want to do. That's where we want to move. Let's move to the second. Let's move to the, to, to the second one, the second ascension we want you to do. Ascend and face your fears. People who are ready to win over anxiety have decided to tap into that part of them that is ready to rumble with their emotions and they're ready to face their fears. There's an interesting verse in Song of Solomon, chapter 4, verse 8. He said, come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon. Come down to, from Mount Amana, from the peaks of Sinir and Hermon. Now, I'm not reading that to, to, to get you to think about the romantic uh, ideas of Song of Solomon. But I want, I want you to notice what he says here about Mount Hermon where the lions have their dens and leopards live among the hills. Oh, I thought, I know what you were thinking when you saw that picture of Mount Zion. You would go up there where it's tranquil and peaceful and you would, have, you would sit in the yoga position and you would have your moment on the mountain. But <laughs> he, says, he says, no, Mount Hermon is a very dangerous place. Mount Hermon has, in fact, today they say that wolves, leopards, and brown bears still live on Mount Hermon. So God has taken you to Mount Hermon for you to face your fears, to face the lions and the tigers in your psyche that are making you frightened all by yourself, just you and God. Nobody else to blame, nobody else to shame. You and God are going to go to Mount Zion and you're going to duke it out with your fears. After we overcome the fear of our fears, we can overcome fear. 
I said, after we overcome the fear of our fears, then we can overcome fear. When events happen that cause you fight or flight response, what is the fear that is being revealed in you? What is the fear that's being revealed? You know, you need to confess it. You need to say it. I'm afraid of and say it. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he will forgive us. And I like the second part, cleanse us. Would it be amazing if God cleansed you of one of your fears? If he just washed it away, that you weren't afraid, so afraid of not having control, that you weren't so afraid of rejection. Because you know, if you're afraid of rejection, people who reject you control you. But if you're not afraid of rejection, people who reject you can't control you. So this is critical to the joy and happiness of your life. It's critical to the success of your life. Let me get to the last one. Ascend and put your hope in God. Psalms 42, 6, 8. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him. I won't read all of that again. I just want to say this to you this morning. Ultimately, the burden of providing your security is not on you. I said ultimately. The burden of providing for your security is not you. Now, let me close with telling you, because some of you that are way ahead of me, you're really smart. I mean, and you, you're not only smart. I mean, you're all smart, but some of you have read the Bible a lot. You're smart and you've read the Bible a lot. So you know what happened on Mount Hermon. And you know a very significant event that has incredible implications for us today and great encouragement for us today. And I just want to read a passage to you in Mark chapter 9, verse 2. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led him up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. Now, how do we know it's Mount Hermon? Because later on in the passage, he says they came down to Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi is at the base of Mount Hermon. So Jesus Tuck his disciples. This is good. I mean, I don't know if you think it's good, but this is good stuff. Jesus, and it's going to get better. If you don't know what happened in chapter 8, you're going to, you're going to, it's even better when you know what happened in chapter 8. Chapter 9, he takes him to Mount Hermon, he, he, he's, and, and, and he gets transfigured. Now, he gets transfigured. This is after Simon Peter, the control freak, tried to take over and because Elijah and Moses showed up. Elijah and Moses showed up, and, and, and Simon Peter got excited because he said, this is where we want to stay. We want to stay right here. It's safe, secure. We got the three eternal beings here. Let's just stay right here. Let's don't go back down in the valley where we have to deal with death and dying and fear and all of that fear stuff. And he says, let's build three tabernacles right here. And, and the, the God speaks out of heaven and said, shut up. He said, listen to my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. In other words, I'm not so pleased with you. <laughs> but wait a minute. What's the context? What's the background? Chapter 8. Jesus, in chapter 8, verse 31, Jesus began to tell his disciples that he was going to die. And he was going to suffer. And a few verses before that, he had fed 5,000 with five loaves and fishes. He did a miracle of loaves and fishes. 20,000 with most people, but he had done this great miracle. So they were on an emotional roller coaster. One thinking, oh, the kingdom of God has come. This is great. We're going we're gonna to feed the world. And then a few verses later, oh, by the way, boys, I'm going to suffer and die. 
their anxiety was off the charts. Their anxiety, they were beside themselves with anxiety. They needed, they needed some, they really needed some anti-anxiety medication, I will guarantee you at this point. They're like, by the way, if you're on medication, this, is, this series is not to condemn you at all. Not at all. It can be a tool, I believe. It can help us get where we need to go. So Jesus, these highly anxious men who are frightened out of their wits, he takes them up to Mount, the top of Mount Hermon. And what is he doing there? What is he doing there? Here's what I believe he's doing there. He's revealing to them his immortality and his connections with all things immortal and all things indestructible. That's why Moses and Elisha showed up. To show the disciples there's a realm where all things are indestructible and you are indestructible. You are going to survive this planet. He pulled back the curtain and he showed them what he, what he was working on. You think it's all about what's going on down there? You think it's all about the Republicans and the Democrats and you think it's all about immigration reform and all this stuff? I want to tell you what I am working on. I want to tell you what's happening in the kingdom of God. I want to tell you what's happening in the realm of the eternal and the realm of the indestructible. Hallelujah. I want to tell you, this is why they would maintain, this is why those men would leave that mountain. They would maintain a non-anxious presence and build a church on faith and not fear. Hallelujah. Prayer is the process of finding out what God has already been working on. The message on the Mount of Transfiguration is that I need to stop trying to make the world a safe place and find in God's eternal and indestructible nature a safe space. The current idea of safe space, I think people mostly are getting, getting it all wrong. We don't need protection. We need perspective. In His presence is fullness of joy and at His right hand are pleasures forevermore. Can I invite you? Let's give the Lord a hand. Let's give His grace a hand. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Our prayer, I want you to come and be prayed for today. And I want you to come. I want everybody who has a fear, everybody who, who would be, be bold enough and courageous enough to say, I have a, a fear that is interrupting my life, maybe even crippling my life. I want you to come up here and I want you to declare it to these prayer partners and say, I want you to pray for me. I want to pray that God will help me to face it and God will help me to see it life from his perspective for a change. And God will teach me how to talk to myself and bring me under the control of the kingdom of God and the Holy Spirit. Would you be prayed for today? Come and receive communion as we enter into response time. You have been listening to the Bethany Community Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us online at bccma.org. Thank you, and God bless.